Hello, and welcome to this, the 36th edition of the U3A podcast, and our first of 2024. I'm Peter Clift, and on behalf of all the podcast team, I'd like to wish you a very happy new year. As we enter our fourth year of the podcast, it is fantastic that the podcast continues to provide news and information from both inside and outside of the U3A movement. And all that is down to you, the listener. So a very big thank you to you from all of us. I'm sure that we will continue to keep you both informed and entertained over the coming year, and this, our January edition, has lots of interesting items for you. I'm also delighted to welcome another new member to the podcast team, Maggie D, and you'll be hearing her later in the programme. So, what's in this edition? Well, we find out that age is no barrier to musical talent. And I felt like I wanted to do something to try and shift perception for what songwriters and musicians over 50 have to offer. I thought to make a symbol of this, I wanted it to be an opportunity only for people over 50. We learned about essential tremor, the devastating condition which affects many, including the famous. Lord Julian Fellows, he's another one. I wrote to him and said I was writing the book and he very kindly wrote me a foreword for it. And just how clever is AI? Now, if they're trained in the right set of data, they will come up with the right set of answers. They can pass university exams, no problem at all. But if they haven't got the right data, they can make it up. The wonders of modern technology. Now, you could be forgiven for thinking that a talking newspaper is yet another high-tech gizmo, but you would be wrong. It is, in fact, a service for those with visual impairment. Val Dawson visited the studios of the Nutsford talking newspaper to find out more. So here we are in this magic little studio hidden away somewhere in Nutsford, Cheshire, we'll say. <laughs> somewhere in Nutsford, Cheshire, most, most certainly, where yeah. we are. We're, we're, we're very pleased to be able to have this because this enables us to to make recordings of the Nutsford Guardian newspaper mm. every week. For the talking newspaper, for, of course. For, uh, yes, we call it yeah. the talking newspaper because we th- we're then able to send out copies of what we've recorded to our listeners throughout Nutsford and the surrounding mm. villages, mm. which is very important. Mm. And uh, each of our listeners has a visual impairment. Mm. which is something which is is important for them, that they receive the news in a way that they can access weekly. Mm. One of the things we're very proud of in here is we've been going for over 40 years. Mm. And how many readers do you do normally have? Are they Um, all volunteers, are they? Everybody, the whole whole of Nutsford Talking Newspaper is run by volunteers. What we have is, is each week we have an editor and the role of our editor is to put together the main components of the Nuts of Guardian. There are some things, for example, we, we wouldn't necessarily read. I mean, we don't read our adverts. <laughs> that, that, I mean, we, we don't feel that's part of our role. So it's very important that we, we, we choose the main news items and make them accessible to our, to our listeners. So the editor will then have either two or three readers with them now and they each taking in turn to read an article and do you have a mixture of male and female voices as well yes we do yes we do um at, at, at the moment predominantly it's female oh good um, you might say good <laughs> so going back a little bit then can you tell me a wee bit about the the history of talking newspapers 
So it, it really dates back to, to the time of cassette recorders, and I'm oh, showing yes. you here a cassette recorder <laughs> with our best jingles on quite it. Quite historic. <laughs> which, which are quite historic. Early on, obviously, all we were able to record on were these these small cassettes mm-hmm. and provide our listeners with, yes, a cassette recorder mm-hmm. at home. But things have changed. And, and, and you've kept up with the changes, that's and we And we've had to keep <laughs> yes. up with the changes. That's really important. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're now in a situation, we have memory sticks. We record onto the memory sticks and we send the memory sticks out to our listeners. And along with that is one of the things that, that we're very proud of as a talking newspaper. We provide them with the little bit of equipment that, that will actually ah, allow right. them to insert the memory mm. stick and then they can turn it on and listen to it. So it will play the memory yes. stick for them. They don't have to. And they can keep that, of course. And, That's and, donated, and, isn't and it? They, they keep that. We mm. provide that for them free of charge. Mm. So everybody can do that at home. There's no reason for them to say, how can I play right. this memory yeah. stick? Mm. But we've moved on again, <laughs> thanks to the, the Br- British Wireless for the Blind Fund. We're able to now transfer from the memory stick onto the internet. So now our listeners can access us from Marvelous. the internet. Mm. And we're really pleased that the Alexa system has also linked into that. So many of our listeners now, if they have an Alexa system oh. at home, can ask Alexa to get up excellent yeah. what what we've yes, read yeah. so so we're moving we're moving mm, forward mm. and that's important but there are a number of organizations like this throughout the country yeah oh yes so so we we can mm. we, we occasionally meet up and see how how we're doing mm. and we're, we're all doing it slightly differently we're very fortunate here in Nutsford because i have to say thanks to the Nutsford town council mm. who support us by allowing us giving us use of this studio mm. And you do rely on donations, though, do you? Oh, from very the much, public? very mm. much so. I mean, what we find is is that we do get donations from our listeners, or from our listeners' families, because often if we lose a listener because of their age, yeah, we we often fr- will find we will get a donation from the family to say thank mm. you very much. Oh, that's good. Which yeah. is lovely, and that mm. enables us to keep going. Mm. But on top of that, we do apply for local grants, which we're able to do. The local co-op in Nutsford has supported us. Oh, great. Mm. And that's really good. And what, what they've they've enabled us to provide is more envelopes to post out to mm. to our listeners mm. and also more memory sticks because clearly they don't come for nothing. <laughs> well, you know, we, we have to purchase those yeah. at the moment. Yes. They go by post, do they? They go by mm. post. Mm. And because each envelope that we send out is recognised by the, the post office. Oh, there is no right. charge on us sending them out, oh, and there is no charge mm. either for the listener to, to return them oh, to us. That's brilliant. Yeah. That, that's fantastic mm. from the mm. post office because because they're doing that because it's recognised as it's for the blind. Mm. In 40 years, we've only missed four weeks of sending that's, out that's a talking newspaper. Mm. Val Dawson with Clive Howlett from Nutsford Talking Newspaper. And if you are visually impaired or know someone who is and feel they would benefit from this service, volunteers all over the country run Talking Newspapers and information is available from the Talking Newspaper Association of the UK. Their website is www.tnauk.org.uk That's www.tnauk.org.uk 
tnauk.org.uk. AI, artificial intelligence, is now a familiar term, even if many of us have little idea about what it does or indeed can do. Reports of its benefits, such as enhancing medical diagnosis, are set against claims of its future dangers. The U3A has recently recruited a subject advisor for AI, Barry Clayton of East Suffolk U3A, and he's been explaining to Joanne Watson that AI is by no means a new invention. AI has been around for about 50 years, and what has happened in the last year, really, where generative AI has taken off, the launch of ChatGPT a year ago took everybody by surprise, including big names like Google. They had nothing to answer it with. Perhaps it's worth explaining what ChatGPT is. I looked it up. It was generative pre-trained transformer, which, <laughs> to be quite honest, doesn't mean anything to me at all. No, the best thing for people to think about is nearly all adults drive a car. Very few of us know how to fix a car. It's useful to know something about what goes on underneath the bonnet. So people have to learn how to use AI safely. What is Chad GPT? It can be all things to all men, I think. When it first was talked about, it was described as some sort of text device that would very quickly produce an answer. It can do a lot more than just generate text. Uh, if you play with it, you can get it to write poems. I've asked it to write a poem for a five-year-old grandchild and then say, rewrite it again for a 10-year-old. And it changes the English to a 10-year-old English. Uh, I've asked it to write songs for U3A members and it produces very convincing songs. It has a large memory of information which has been, it has been trained on there are all sorts of problems with the data it gathers or is trained on. Two things come to mind. One is the data could be biased. A simple example of this is you can train these generative models to recognize blackbirds when they come into your garden. Now, if you train the model on just male blackbirds, of course, it will only ever recognize male blackbirds. It will never recognize female blackbirds. You have to train these models on data that is relevant and accurate and right. The other problem is you can get bias in data. This isn't a case of missing out the female blackbird. It's a case of information it's trained on. If it was completely right-wing information, of course, it's just a machine and it will just respond in a right-wing way. I experimented how it could actually precy a song or a document in a couple of sentences in no time at all. I was quite staggered. I can see why young students are very keen on it as uh, helping them with their homework. It appears very clever, but when they get it wrong, it's called hallucination. They just make up things. And the big headline story earlier in the year was of a New York uh, attorney giving a job to a clerk to prepare a case, the clerk went away and asked ChatGPT to prepare the case. He got the response, didn't check it, handed it to the attorney. Attorney handed it to the opposition. Opposition attorney handed it to the clerk. And when the uh, clerk checked it, none of the cases that ChatGPT had 
stated, never existed at all. They are programmed to come up with an answer. Now, if they're trained in the right set of data, they will come up with the right set of answers. They can pass university exams, no problem at all. But if they haven't got the right data, they can make it up. It mimics intelligent human behavior, but it is machine intelligence, which is different from biological intelligence. Some dogs, you know, like sheepdogs, demonstrate intelligence, biological intelligence. AI is machine intelligence. It has no self-knowledge. It, it just does as it's told. So if I told you now to go and shoot the next person you see, you wouldn't do it because you have a moral code you live by. If you have a robot and you tell it to do that, it will do it. It's a machine. It has no moral code, has no self-awareness. In the good hands, the good actors, it will do some fantastic stuff in 2024. The best way to learn about it is to play with it. And the technique I've used for the last six months within our own East Suffolk U3A and now at the national level is get them to play with an image generator. Now, the one I've used is Bing's image generator. It's free, it's simple, it comes from Microsoft, so it's, you know, it's safe. And it generates all sorts of wonderful pictures. You can't believe how clever it can be. But when it produces a picture of a person with an arm sticking out of the head, well, a three-year-old would say that was wrong. They have no common sense that even a three-year-old has learned to have. Do you see it ever getting a moral code in a sense of common sense? Is that something that is, you know, in five years' time could be the next stage? There's lots of people talking about the next level of AI, which is artificial general intelligence. This is where they learn and learn and learn. And even after that, they say about artificial superintelligence, where you get something that is cleverer than any human or any group of humans and takes over the world. It's the sort of Terminator scenario. And unfortunately, news headlines like to be scary. They grab the reader's attention. All things are possible. I've been involved with computer technology for 50 years. And each time I stop and look back, I think, well, there is no way in the past I could have predicted what was going to happen next. I think the concern is that many people in the U3A may not want to um, have a go at AI. Well, that's true. Recently, our Spanish uh, subject advisor, Sandra, has had a 30-minute lesson from me with generative AI and chat GPT. She's driving those AIs to do her Spanish subject advisor job, creating all sorts of things, introducing the U3As that she's talking to, to using these tools to write things in Spanish or check what it writes in Spanish. Can you remember when you first learned to drive? It was a magic moment, wasn't it? Frightening. But as soon as you got the basic controls working for you, it's, it just seems to gel and you, you, know, you intuitively do it. Okay, you sometimes find it a bit stressful, but it's a wonderful feeling when you get a, a machine that you can control and it can produce such amazing stuff. Joe Watson there talking to Barry Clayton. If you want to know more, there is a U3A AI Communities page. Just search for AI at u3a.org.uk. 
It contains many helpful articles and you can sign up for Barry's regular newsletters. But now for more simple pleasures. The joy of music. Listening to music is one of life's great pleasures. Playing music requires skill, a skill I sadly lack. But how about writing music? Is it the prerogative of the young? One lady who thinks it certainly isn't is Saskia Griffiths-Moore, who runs an organisation called Talent is Timeless. Lee Walbrook spoke with Saskia recently, and he began by asking her, what is Talent is Timeless and what are its aims and objectives? Talent is Timeless is a global community of songwriters over 50. We exist to connect and inspire songwriters, and we run a big annual free-to-enter songwriting contest, and we have a year-round membership site with online events and in-person events and retreats around the world. Could you tell me what inspired you to set up the Talent is Timeless organisation? I'm a folk artist myself, and I don't know if you have much of an appreciation for folk music, but it just so happened that a lot of my audience members and fans, venue owners, promoters, and so on, tended to be over 50. So for many years, I was surrounded by this demographic of people that I thought were immensely talented and skilled. And there was one particular session where I played a gig um, in the Midlands and I stayed over at a fan's house and we started jamming in the evening with my band and with the host. And I thought, oh, my God, you're so talented. Why Why did I just play a show? Why weren't you on stage? And I, and I said that to him. Why, you know, why aren't you performing and why aren't you out there touring and stuff? And he just said, oh, no one wants to see me up there on stage. No one wants to. No one really wants me to be up there. And I just thought that's not true. So. Somewhere during the pandemic, that was kicking around in my mind. That was probably a couple of months just before all of the, you know, all of it kicked off in 2020. And I felt like I wanted to do something to try and shift perception for what songwriters and musicians over 50 have to offer. I thought to make a symbol of this, I wanted it to be an opportunity only for people over 50. And I called up my friends, I called up some people I knew in the industry, and I took a few long shots and called up some businesses that I respected that I asked to get on board. And to my surprise, they all said, yes, uh, we will support your competition, we'll offer prizes, we'll be the judges, we'll offer some publicity. Why don't you send this out to your friends and fans? You've managed to tap into a, a wellspring of creative talent so are there any notable high points in in the journey of, of your organisation so far? There are, absolutely. I just want to say, first of all, that for me, the high point is seeing people come alive again with their creativity because what's really funny to me is um, all these people over 50 who could easily do any other thing, they don't have to do this at all, choose to do it and they join our community and they start writing songs maybe they start performing they come to some of our live events or our online events and start performing for the first time and it is so uh wonderful and uplifting for me to see these people doing something that scares them you know that they feel nervous to do that makes them feel like a teenager again because they want to so anytime somebody comes out of their shell and faces those fears and steps up on stage and says okay i might not be the best at this but I'm going to give it a try. Will you all you know, give me a listen or give me a clap or don't mind if my guitar's a bit out of tune or what if I croak in my throat while I'm singing or you know, anything like that is such a win for the spirit. And I see these little miracles 
over and over again in every live session from people who've never sung in public before or who've never written a song before you know who were encouraged to join by a friend and they thought maybe I'll give it a shot but my heart's not really in it to getting totally addicted and writing a new song every week or every month and they've been doing that for years and some of them get really really good and then they make friends and they join you know they form bands together um, and do these little side projects and spin-off projects those are all the biggest successes for me even if they're not the most public ones i find them the most beautiful and the most touching leading on from that if anybody wants to actually make that leap into either starting songwriting or restarting some songwriting that they have um, let go over the years, apart from them pointing to pointing them towards your organisation, are there any tips or hints that you've got for anybody sort of starting or restarting down that path? Yes, here are a few practical things, um, and it depends on how shy or confident you are. But I believe in the power of community and connection and friendship. So as much as you can, maybe you want to join an anonymous online mic session or you want to see if there's a local folk club going on at the local pub or the local village hall or church or wherever it is, wherever you can connect to someone else to share your music or your songs with someone, I think it strengthens the whole experience by a factor of you know 10 20 or 50 or however you want to put it doing it with someone else makes such a big difference i think there are a lot of great resources out there online that are youtube tutorials that might help you just get started if you were like I, I have a keyboard i haven't played in years but i know how to play a couple of chords but where do i go with this there might be some educational resources but they haven't been enough to trigger me into songwriting until I've got a group to do it with and some accountability and ideally some other people who are doing the same thing. So it's not just you being vulnerable and nervous and new at something, but being around a whole community of people that are also trying things out and that are ready to give you tips and to give you um, ideas of where you can perform and what you can write and what you can do. I think it makes such a difference to have a supportive community around you. Finally. Can we just have a quick overview of how people find Talent is Timeless and some details about the annual songwriting competition? You can find us online. We're everywhere you'd want us to be. Our website is talentistimeless.com. And for most social media, Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, uh, Twitter or X, uh, we're at Talent is Timeless. And our free competition is easy to sign up and put a song in. You can do that at talentistimeless.com slash competition. And when does the competition start? It opened on January the 1st, and we are accepting entries all the way up until March 31st. Lee Welbrook talking to Saskia Griffiths-Moore. And as she said, that competition is open until the end of March for all budding songwriters over 50. Like me, you may never have heard of the syndrome Essential Tremor, although there is a clue in the title. But what is it? Who does it affect at what age and how does it impact on people's lives? Essential Tremor sufferer Sheila Wurr has just written a book on the subject and she spoke to Maggie D about it. Well, I've been in the writer's circle since about 1998-1999 because I'm interested in writing. So the writing came first, really. And then, um, as my essential tremor grew worse, I we have a, a support group for people in the southwest who have essential tremor, 
and so I think the book came about because of them because they usually come with lots of hints and tips it's all about self-management and mm. how do you drink a cup of coffee in a coffee morning you know when you spill it everywhere and how do you cook and all sorts of problems and then uh, they had so many hints and tips we discussed between us well it would be really good to have these in a book so I put them into a book and another member Excellent. of the writer's circle illustrated it for me Excellent. Well, I'll get you to read a little bit out of the book in a little while, but I'd like to know a bit more about Essential Tremor. You have it yourself. I um, do. You have it in your arms and hands. Uh, yes, my is, hands, maybe. Is that where it always is, or can it be anywhere? No, it very often is in the hands, but it's also often in the head, less commonly in the legs, but it's mainly hands or um, head. And I think uh, Audrey Hepburn had it, didn't it? Was it Audrey? No, Catherine Hepburn, wasn't it? She had it. Ah, yes. I'm not sure about her, but certainly there have been some famous people. Mm. Schultz. Oh, Charles Schultz. Charles Schultz had it. Yes, and you can see, if you look at his cartoons, you can see that they're slightly wavy. If you look at the lines very closely. Well, that's... Gosh, no, I never have done, but I will have to. I've never actually looked to see whether the lines are wavy yes, or not. Yes, you have to look very closely. Lord Julian Fellows, he's another one. I wrote to him and said I was writing the book and he very kindly wrote me a foreword for it. Well, would you, at this moment, would you be happy to read out the foreword to us? Oh, yes. Because obviously he's someone who knows how to write. Lord Julian Fellows says, I first developed a tremor in my early 60s and after spending a year or two in denial, I was forced, like all of us, to learn to live with it. So far, I have found no treatment, at least none that makes a significant difference, and so I welcome this booklet, which is full of useful hints and tips about how to cope with our tiresome condition. Sheila Wurr has the knack of finding ways around the numerous tricky situations that continually crop up, both in daily life and on social occasions, and which often make life with a tremor extremely difficult to negotiate. I wholeheartedly recommend this publication to people with essential tremor as well as to their families and friends who may not always know how best to help. Excellent. Yes, no, that that is um, a really nice forward, isn't it? It is, yes. Tell me, how do you get essential tremor? Is it something that's simply hereditary or is it...? It often is uh, hereditary. It is a neurological condition... um, it affects over a million people in the UK. It's more common than Parkinson's. Um, people often think I've got Parkinson's. So it's about 10 times more common than Parkinson's. Um, and it can vary in how bad it is, but it does get worse with age. I think most people with it find it gets worse worse with age. And there isn't really... It's a neurological condition, but it's not life-threatening there's not a lot that you can do about it there are drugs that some people try but there hasn't been a great deal of success with drugs and they're in the process of developing other treatments now mm-hmm. but it, it does have a genetic factor a lot of people find it runs in their family but one thing which perhaps is the good news is that the one thing that does affect it and improve it is alcohol yes when when you're being diagnosed by the neurologist that's one of the questions they ask is it better after you've had a drink well obviously for some people who can't drink for various reasons that's not good news but as long as you don't overdo it if 
one glass of wine um, before you're going to do something quite stressful is very helpful. And and my mother, my mother was in hospital towards the end of her life uh, with a heart condition, and they noticed in the hospital that she couldn't eat the hospital food because it kept falling off the fork. So they prescribed her a glass of sherry before each meal so that she could eat it. That was in the 80s. I don't think you'd get that now, but... (laughs) This little book you wrote, it's just, as I say, it's just a 43-page book. And you've had it published and it's it's bound, it's got a wire binding, and you're happy to send it to people who might want to get hold of it. Certainly, yes. It's £5 a copy. Well, in, in a little while, I will make sure that we get the email address of Sheila and so you can then write to Sheila and ask her for one if that's what you would like or if you know someone, of course. But I did actually read a couple of little bits of the book the other night and there are some amusing suggestions. You know, you've got some very helpful suggestions as to what to do, but some of them are quite amusing, I think. Can you just read us a, a few passages from the book? Well, there's one section that deals with eating and drinking, particularly in public, which can be very difficult. And so this was the introduction to it. Returning from a day in London recently, I dashed into Marks and Spencer's on the station and bought a salad to eat on the train. If you have ever tried eating couscous, hummus, red cabbage and the rest with a small wooden fork and a shaking hand, you will understand the frustration. I ended up shoveling it in with my fingers. The train was crowded and I received a few furtive glances from fellow passengers as they clocked this wacky OAP eating soggy salad with her fingers. I do not, I really don't know how you, you, you cope with that. But and, and how many years have you been suffering with this? Well, it first became a bit of a nuisance when I was in my 30s, sort of mid to late 30s, when I was trying to learn the clarinet and I couldn't hold it steady. That's when I realised it was going to be a problem. But it didn't get really bad until maybe 50s, 60s. Mm. As you say, um, it gets worse with age, yeah. It does get worse with age and it can be a nuisance. I think the group that I run... We all find that the best way to deal with it is with humour. We just laugh at ourselves and it stops other people being embarrassed as well. So that's... that's yes, it does help, I, I, I agree, because sometimes people don't know where to put themselves, so no. to speak. And I think a lot of people don't actually know they've got it because they realise they're a bit shaky, but they haven't had it diagnosed. Probably worth getting a diagnosis. Is it something that, in the early stages, is intermittent? It's not intermittent as much as slight, Maybe at this point we should say what your email address is. Yes, OK. Well, I'll use this email address. It's the e- also the email of the support group, and it's Salisbury Shakers, all one word. OK, I'm just writing it down, as you say, Salisbury Shakers. That's S-H-A-K-E-R-S. At, at btinternet.com. BTInternet.com. So, if anybody's interested in the support group as well, we cover a large area. Um, although we meet in Salisbury, we have people from Warminster, Wimborne, Andover, Bristol, Cornwall, all over the place. Mm, that, that's amazing. Um, the title of the book is called The Answer is Mushy Peas, which you might think is rather a strange title. When we had a meeting of our group early on, We talked about the possibility of the book. We were having lunch in a restaurant. Several people were amazed when a member of the group 
ordered fish, chips and peas. If you've got essential tremor, you do not eat peas in public and you don't eat soup in public, things like that. So we said, how can you eat peas? And he said, the answer is mushy peas. And we thought, well, that would be a good title for the book. Sheila Wurr and her book, The Answer is Mushy Peas, a light-hearted guide to living with essential tremor. If you would like more information on essential tremor, then please contact the National Tremor Foundation, or NTF as it's known, at www.tremor.org.uk. Well, that just about wraps it up for this, our first podcast of 2024. I do hope you've enjoyed listening. If you have an interesting story to tell or would like to contact the U3A podcast team, don't hesitate to get in touch. And you can do that by emailing communications at u3a.org.uk. Thanks to our intrepid team of interviewers, Joe Watson, Val Dawson, Maggie D, and Lee Wellbrook, for all the interviews. Studio production was by Peter Clift and Lee Wellbrook. But on behalf of all of us, this is me, Peter Clift, saying thank you for listening and look forward to meeting you again next month.